Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. Let's, um, well, let me just go ahead and encourage you. We're kind of recap. Last week, uh, we did meet together and we did kind of give you four major exhortations, kind of just as the body of Christ, four things we want you to press into. And first, it was the first that we're to fear God and not fear the things that we see, which is kind of interesting. So often we think that we're to fear those things that we see, but the Bible calls us to fear him who we cannot see, the one who can cast the body and soul into hell. So fear God in the midst of this moment. Secondly, remember, be compassionate, not critical. Um, we're not all medical experts. We're not all have it all figured out, but we need to definitely always show compassion to our neighbors um, in this season. So be compassionate, not critical. Uh, third thing is treasure Christ, not trinkets. Um, one of the exhortations that we gave you at the end of the sermon last week was let this be a season of waiting where the Holy Spirit begins to really just work in our hearts, revealing areas where we're not treasuring him most. And so just kind of allow to remember treasure Christ, not trinkets. And last check in, don't check out. Um, as we have this social distancing, remember to check in with each other, check in with your neighbors, check in with other church members, whether it be phone calls, texts, um, a variety of different ways that we can continue to just check into each other. Um, with that being said, let's read God's word together. Galatians chapter two, verse Chapter 11, uh, chapter 2, verse 11 is where we'll read. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray with hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not, on, not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For I rebuild what I tore, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though the, through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord from Galatians. Would you pray with me? Father, we come now and 
great anticipation of hearing from your word. And Father, how glorious it is to know that you are never silent. Father, that we don't have to chase after visions and things written in the sky, but God, God, you've spoken to us in your word. And so we ask now that as we open your word and as we explain its truth and explain you, Father, I pray you would minister to our hearts. Father, we ask all of this so that we might become a people who live for you in all that we do. Father, we love you and we thank you for this. We ask this for your glory and our joy, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just came to me, I remember in seminary, uh, one of my preaching classes, the, the pastor once said, he says, no matter who's present, he goes, preach hard. I'm literally preaching to an open, empty room right now. So um, brothers and sisters, I pray that you find encouragement as we look at the word together. But just kind of to recap, Paul so far in this letter, he wrote this letter to the church of Galatia and to us in order that he might warn the early church about the enticing allure of almost gospels, right? And thereby explaining the gospel. Remember, almost gospels are doctrines taught by man that sound like Christianity and give the appearance, appearance like they are. However, they betray the good news of the gospel. They betray, they stab us in the back. You can see, every one of us has a part of our human nature that almost finds the gospel, these type of gospels enticing. And this is why Paul is so passionate and he's been warning the church about their utter emptiness. And so as we begin to see here in this letter, they're not only empty, but they can become enslaving. So today, as we dig into this next section, may we listen with attentiveness and humble willingness to receive from God through his word. Two points that I want to draw out from the text, really two points that I think Paul is emphasizing as he's addressing Peter and the situation. The first is we see in verses 11 through 14. And the first point is this, we need to learn to see in ourselves the pull of almost gospels. We need to learn to see in ourselves the pull in our hearts of almost gospels. Pastor David began to examine this section of scripture the last time we were together in Galatians and we're going to look back at it again and see how it ties into the section we'll move into. One of the things I want us to understand is one of the tendencies that can happen to a follower of Jesus is that we are very good at pointing out almost gospels in other churches and in other people. But very rarely do we intentionally check our own motives in lives to see if we've begun to be swayed by the pull of almost gospels. Martin Luther, when commenting about this section of scripture in Galatians, he said this, for it is great comfort for us to hear that even such a great saint, referring to Peter, he sins. And he goes on to say, yet these errors of the saints are not merely meant for our comfort, but also as a warning that no one is ever in such sure footing that he too cannot fall. If Peter fell, I too can fall. But if he stood up again, so could I. So one of the things we need to see here is that Paul addresses Peter, but he does so in a very intentional way because we see something in Peter's life that is true of all of our lives, that we constantly have the pull in our hearts away from the true gospel, the, the very reality of what Christ is and done. And we often feel swayed. We love to point fingers at other churches or other people about their almost gospels. But what I want this text to do, and I think Paul's intention here, is so that we might learn to look at our own lives, to see how we too might be swayed. Look again there with me at verse 11. 
But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So we see the setting here is in the church of Antioch, which is where Paul and Barnabas were doing their early church ministry. We see this is the church that sent Paul out to do his missionary journeys. And Peter evidently was visiting these brothers up in the church of Antioch. And what had happened is they were all enjoying fellowship together, both Jews and Gentiles, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and Gentiles, all together at one table, and even probably sharing the Lord's table together. He'd been here, but not seeming like a big deal. But we must remember, what's the big deal about Jews and Gentiles? And we must have this in the backdrop of our mind, that as a Jew, to eat with a Gentile would have been a violation of the cleanliness laws of the Old Testament. You see, there was numerous restrictions in the Old Covenant centered around things like that would make you ceremonially unclean, unable to approach the Lord or come into his presence. Could be things like eating certain types of food, touching dead things, etc. And yet Peter, we must remember, Peter's already had a vision from the Lord when he was in Jerusalem. And he saw this vision, a sheet came down out of heaven and the Lord put all kinds of unclean animals on there and, and said to Peter, take and eat. And Peter says, no, no. And the Lord says it again. And, and finally, Peter realizes that the Lord says to him, do not call impure that which God has made clean. And so Peter knew that the Gentiles were no longer off limits for a Jew. But that too had been brought into a family. They too had been brought into a family of God in Christ Jesus. So here's Peter. He's hanging out with Paul and Barnabas and other Jews and Gentiles together and Antioch. And all of a sudden he hears someone come in the door. And who does the text say it is? Look there with me in verse 16, or excuse me, verse 12. It says, for before certain men came from James. If you look down a little bit further, he calls them the circumcision party at the end of that verse. So Peter had been enjoying fellowship with people he knew were part of God's family. But then certain men, the circumcision party from James, highlighting the reality of some people coming from Jerusalem, very heavy influence in the Jerusalem church. And Peter was there. And the moment he saw them, he slides his chair back and he moves away from the Gentiles out of fear. See, one of the big things we need to understand is that our table manners, they matter. And what we mean by table manners is the way we live our life, it declares stuff about the gospel. It knits truths to who Christ is and what he's accomplished. So much that Paul in verse 11, look there again with me, it says that he stood, Peter stood what? He says, condemned. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Wow, strong language, simply from pushing away from a table seated with Gentiles when another group of people came in, which is so interesting. Is it not that, that these men from the circumcision party had such sway over the heart of Peter? At this point, Peter slides his chair back and begins to act in a different way than he was previously. You see, the way he acted differently around a certain group of people revealed that Peter at his core, who loved Jesus and confessed him as his only hope, he was under the sway of an almost gospel. Not believing in it, but he was under the sway of this almost gospel. Peter had a deep conviction that he knew that the Gentiles were purified by faith, just like the Jews. But he began to act, as the, the, the text says, hypocritically, according to verse 13. See, this action of having a strong conviction, but living contrary to admit that Peter stood condemned. 
he was being swayed by an almost gospel. And his table manners and the way he treated people showed that he and his conduct were not in step with the gospel. Look there at how Paul uses that very language in verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw their conduct, and listen to Paul's phrase here, was not in step with the truth of the gospel. And see, brothers and sisters, this is one of the things we cannot forget, is that even as followers of Christ, we can still be swayed, our hearts and our lives be pulled by almost gospels. One of the very beautiful ways it does this here is that Peter was saying something about the gospel by stepping away from the table of the Gentiles, from the table that he has sat there for probably many weeks or days at that point. And it was this idea that Paul, not realizing it or not, Peter pushed away and he was actually saying to these Gentile believers, to Barnabas, to Paul, to all these people, that it was Jesus plus something. That it was Jesus plus something. In this case, it was an element of, of nationalism or circumcision or even legalism. They were placing extra things on top of the gospel. And we need to be warned here that even if Peter was swayed by so much fear, and the pull of legalism or nationalism or following the law, that we too must learn to see in ourselves the pull of almost gospels. Anything like this, nationalism, adding circumcision or festival days, is nothing more than legalism. And legalism is nothing more than saying there is something more than Jesus that can make us acceptable before God. Let me say that again. Legalism is saying that there is something more than Jesus that we add to being acceptable before God. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's saying there is something I can do to climb up to God's throne of grace. And there are numerous forms of this almost gospel where we add something on top of Jesus in order to be found acceptable before God. I mean, let's just a few. Maybe it's the distinctiveness of a particular style of church. Maybe it's saying, well, we're a better church because we do it this way. Or we're a better church because we're Baptist. Maybe it's the fact that maybe, maybe you're holding on top of someone that even the reality of baptism by immersion in an unhealthy way, you're saying that that's the only way. And if you don't do it this way, now I am Baptist. I believe that is the biblical form, but I don't hold that on top of someone else. Neither should we. Or maybe it's Reformed theology. That if you don't believe the, the doctrines of grace or the, the high sovereignty of God, that, that maybe that you're not a follower of God. And we've got to be very careful that we too, like Peter, aren't pushing away from the table of people who love the Lord, confess the Lord. And in doing so, we're adding on top of the gospel. Maybe it's even racial profiling. Or in this day and age, it's political streams. You're unwilling to sit at the table with others who are different than you. And the moment in our life where we back away from the table from someone merely because we are deferring to secondary issues, things that we're putting on top of Christ, is the moment we've been swayed by an almost gospel. And our life is no longer in step with the truth of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is not only a great teaching point by Paul here, but it's a strong warning to all of us that we must learn to look in our own lives to see if we are being swayed or pulled away in hypocrisy, 
by adding something on top of the gospel. Where might that be in your life? Where might that be in my life that, that I'm unwilling to proclaim and announce King Jesus and all that he's accomplished and then I'm going to add in and, and be a Baptist and be this and do this and continue in this. What are areas of your life where you are currently feeling the pull of adding something to the gospel? There's nothing wrong, brothers and sisters, with having deep convictions and living by those convictions, but we cannot add our convictions on top of the settled, finalized work of Jesus Christ. This is the announcement of the King. Maybe just do this. Sometime today, maybe around the dinner table with your family, Begin to think over the last months or year and see if you're stepping away from the table of someone over a secondary issue that's not attached to the core of the gospel. And as you identify these in your life, invite others into that conversation so that together you might be encouraged in the fullness of the gospel. Now I know there's, there's distance things here, but we're phone calls away from each other. We're text away from each other. And Lord willing, uh, in the coming months, we'll be able to get back together in, in a healthy way. But brothers and sisters, we can't live our life in isolation. You see, one of the interesting points that's kind of just woven into this section is that Peter was among Paul when he saw this happen. And when he saw it happen, he knew this was something he had to address. And he did so in a faithful way. And again, I just want to just on a side note, say that, that I'm not saying lay aside all of your biblical convictions. These are good things that we need to hold fast to, whether it be family size or certain doctrines or denominational distinctives. But we must not become a people who push away from the table because we want to add to justification by faith. See, this leads us into this very next section, which is so wonderful because it reveals a pivotal point in, in, in almost gospels that we can now handle. Look there with me at verse 15 as we read our next section and, and see the second point. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified <clears throat> one of the interesting points that we see here is that we need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves and others every day brothers and sisters we need to be those who every day preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves and Paul is He's not going back and he's not highlighting merely what Peter did wrong. He's like, he didn't just demean him. He, instead, he said, there's a connection, Peter. There's something you're missing in the core of the gospel that was showing itself in your life. You were forgetting what justification by faith in Christ alone was. And it led to you in fear, acting in a way that was unbecoming of the gospel. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Disciplines of Grace, he says this interesting line. This whole book is about how we grow in our holiness, which is walking in step with the gospel. And he says this line. He says, preach the gospel to yourself every day. 
And brothers and sisters, this is what I want to encourage us, especially as we're finding distance from each other. We've got to be faithful to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. When you wake, preach the gospel to yourselves. Know that you wake in the morning and God's favor and love is completely upon you, not because of anything you did yesterday or anything you'll do today, but only and completely because of Jesus Christ and your trust in him and faith in him alone. When you walk into a lunchroom meeting with someone else, preach the gospel to yourself as you walk into that meeting so that your heart is in a position of love for that brother and the opportunity that you can proclaim Christ there, that you will not push away from that table because you hear something that's different about them. And may we also preach the gospel ourselves when we lay our head at night and we're reflecting on the day. I don't know about you, but there's times when I stop at the end of the day and I ask the Lord just to show and reveal things to me about how I honored him or how I did not honor him in that day. I can often feel a lot of weight come upon myself. Guilt, shame, as if I've done all these things wrong. But then I preach the gospel to myself and I say, no, God, you are good. You love me. And all of this has been taken in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. And Paul here in verses 15 through 21, he is emphasizing the central truth of the gospel. One of the central truths of the gospel. And it's that we are all justified by faith in Christ alone. Now this word justified is such a unique term. Typically, in, in especially like the book of Romans, it has this legal connotation like we've been found guilty, condemned before God because of our sin. His wrath is upon us. And yet we know that Christ, he, he took that wrath. He became our sin. We've been singing it in two songs today that he became our sin. He took our wrath. We are given his righteousness. And now through Christ, we have been given favor with God. That God looks upon me not as a sinner, but he looks upon me as a child of God. And I cling to that by faith. I hold fast to that by constantly trusting in Jesus alone. What's interesting here is that this first line in verse 15, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Paul here is emphasizing the reality that, that the Jews probably have this frankly, natural presumption of God's favor. Because throughout history of, of the church, and, or excuse me, of the, of the early nation of Israel, they were God's chosen people. They were the ones to whom God gave the law. Especially in the Gospels, though, we see that they had this presumption of I'm always in God's favor merely because I'm a child of Abraham or because I have the law of God. And what's interesting is we see this in our own hearts, do we not? Because our hearts are just like the Jewish heart, including yours and mine. Deep down, we all would say, I'm a pretty good person because I do blank. I do blank. And he's saying here, we ourselves are Jews in birth, by birth and Gentiles by sinners, yet. And he wants to stop everybody's thinking. If, if we have that tendency to say to someone else or to say to ourselves, I'm a pretty good person, I do blank. That's the deception of sin in our heart that we quickly say, I'm okay. I love um, Ryan York. Every time I say, hey, man, how are you doing? One of his lines he says to me, he says, I'm doing good except for my sin. 
And I think that's something really true. We need to be mindful constantly that, that we are only in God's favor. He only looks upon us in love and in kindness because of Jesus. Nothing else can be added to Christ's complete work. Nothing. See, the human heart is very deceptive. It loves to say, I'm okay. I'm okay because I go to church. I'm okay because I give to the church. Or even, I'm okay because I've been baptized. We are all like Peter in that we can quickly place our hope in almost gospels where we've added something to merit to show ourselves worthy before God. One good question to ask yourself to discern this in your own heart is this, when you have a week that is going well or it's not going well, how do you respond? Do you say, man, my week's been really bad. I need to be at church the next week so that my week will go better. Or maybe you say, man, my week's been going really bad. I need to be, spend more time in, in my word. Or I, I, mean, I haven't given like three weeks. That's why my finances are in their chaos that they are. This is actually like a magnifying glass into your own soul as to what you may be adding to the gospel. Because you're saying, God, I've lost favor with you. And therefore, I have to be at church so that you'll be back and, and I'll be back in your good standing. Or I'll have to do Bible or give or whatever it might be. And I know I've said things like that before. And we need to allow those to be a magnifying glass in this moment so that we see where we too are like Peter. And we add things on top of the gospel where we find our favor before God. And we must see here, Paul says, our favor, brothers and sisters, and anyone who is watching, our favor, our right standing before God is only and ever Jesus. Look there with me specifically at verse 16. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. There's nothing you can do to climb your way up to the throne of God's grace. Nothing, no one in all of history can do one single thing to make themselves right before God. Not even the, the goodiest of goods or the worst of worst is any different in their position before God. We are all sinners under his holy, just wrath. And how beautiful it is that he says, we're not justified by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And now when Paul uses this idea of Jesus Christ, he is packing a bunch of things in there. Remember, he's speaking to a specific people in Galatia that he had already spent time with, with Barnabas, who was mentioned earlier, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the excellence of, of who Jesus is. In this faith in Jesus Christ, we need to understand it is not that he's merely a good example for you to follow. This is not what he's linking to Jesus. It's not that he's merely a historical figure that we agree was a historical person. He's not saying that your faith is in your faith. No, he is declaring, he is announcing that Jesus alone is any person's justification. The only way you or I or anyone in all of the world can be brought back to a relationship with the Father is through Jesus. And Jesus, he lived a life that you and I could not. Not one time, not one time did he stray from following God's perfect will, perfect obedience. 
And yet we sang, he willingly gave that life for all who would believe. He died our death. He took our wrath. Where we once stood condemned, he took our condemnation. And he breathed his last, declaring, it is finished. But we know he didn't stay in the grave. No, instead he rose again, showing, validating that he is the first fruit of creation. And that he is now going to reign in the hearts of his people until he returns again. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, this morning, where is your hope that you are in right relationships with the Father? Is there anything that you're doing? Is there anything that you're placing your hope into? Is there anything that you're saying, God, would he just, he's not looking kindly because of this? Our hope, our faith, we trust, we declare it's Jesus and Jesus alone, ever and only Jesus. He alone is our salvation. He alone is our good standing with the Father. He is it. And this is what Paul's doing. He's reminding Peter, Peter, you're acting in a way that's contrary to this truth. And you're living hypocritically. You're acting as if the, the Gentiles have to do something else in order to find good standing with God. And what the interesting thing we need to see here is where's your hope this morning for being in right standing with the Father? Is it anything you've done or must continue to do? No, it is only and ever Jesus. And if you're listening today and you've identified something in your life, maybe it's in your faith where, where you're beginning to, to place some of your hope and assurance in the finished work or of your own works, I plead with you right now to repent to turn from trusting those and instead by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. He alone, all of him for all of me, for all of my days. We need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Yet preaching the gospel to ourselves does not mean that we can continue to live however we want. But it is the daily reminder to live for God. Look there with me at verse 17 through 21. 17 through 21. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ the servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What's interesting about this section here is that Tim Keller does a wonderful way. He rephrases this, these two verses in a very interesting way. And I want to read this for you. So listen. This is Tim Keller, a faithful pastor up in New York City. And here's how he kind of says this in a different nuance so that it can be understood. If someone who knows that they are justified by faith sins, is it because justification by faith in Christ promotes sin? No, not at all. But if someone who professes faith in Christ keeps on with the same sinful lifestyle, re rebuilding the sinfulness that Christ died to absolve, they're making no effort to change, then it's actually proving this person never really grasped the gospel and was looking for an excuse to live in disobedience to God. And this is so interesting. Paul is highlighting here. So he goes from not by works of the law, but by justification and faith alone. Then he moves into, so, so can we continue in sin? Does this mean that, that we're going to abound in sin like he says in Romans? And he says, no. He says, if I build up walls that Christ tore down, then actually I'm in sin. I'm a transgressor. I've missed the point of the gospel. 
Paul is saying that for those who have faith that truly justifies means we have a new view of our life. Look there with me in verse 19. It says, For though through the law I died to the law, so that I might, what? Live to God. You see, this is the amazing thing about the gospel. It saves us. We get Christ's righteousness, our wrath, our condemnation, our sin, the power of sin over our life is all taken, and, and Christ absolves that. And now I have a new direction. And Paul was reminding Peter that you're building back up something that God struck down. The dividing wall of hostility that Paul mentions in Ephesians, that there's a separation between Jew and Gentile. See, we must understand and we must learn to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Because what it does is it prepares our heart to actually live that day for God. Preaching the gospel to yourself every day prepares your heart to live for God. Not continuing to pull away from tables of certain people. Or to live under the burden of being a perfectionist. And I've got to have a perfect life in order for God to still love me at the end of the day. See, but when I preach the gospel to myself, I am saying to my heart, heart that you are loved by God. And because you're loved by God through Christ, you can live today for him and for his glory. Look there again with me in verse 20 and 21. This is what Paul says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And listen to what he says. In the life I now, at this moment, live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And look at these next two lines. Who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the beautiful things that Paul is saying here is that the life of a follower of God is one that daily rejoices that he is loved by Christ. And this is what we mean by preaching the gospel to ourselves. Moms, dads, there's times when our children are, are just acting in their sinfulness and you just feel like such a failure. You feel like you've messed something up. But just be reminded that you are loved by Christ. Your position and your salvation is not swayed by how well we do at parenting. Now we want to do well, but your heart has to be in a position where you know your love. How do we know we're loved? Because he gave himself for us. There's a big difference in the two. I heard this one illustration one time. I think it's very helpful here. Imagine you're, you're outside with your family. You know, you went in and you rescued everybody. And you're outside with your family and your house is burning. And, and, and someone kind of just stranger shows up and he says, I'm willing to die for you. And he runs into the burning building and dies. What? You just kind of look, wow, we were rescued already, so, so why did he run into the burning building? Now imagine another scenario. Your house is on fire. The smoke is kind of taken over the house, and you are basically completely knocked out and incapacitated, unable to remove yourself because of the smoke. And a stranger comes in, and he rescues you one by one by one. And the last one, he throws out into the grass, and he dies himself. And that's a different perspective of that stranger, isn't it? One who merely just runs into a house, but you've already rescued yourself, versus one who rescued you Utterly, completely. Now your perspective of this stranger is vastly different. Can I tell you this stranger is Jesus? He's the only one who can truly 
take some of us who are dead in our sins and rescue us and know we are loved. And how do I know he's loved? Because he gave himself for me, as verse 20 says. Look at verse 21. It says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul challenges Peter. Paul challenges the church in Galatia. And Paul challenges us to understand every day we have to position our heart in a place of thankfulness and love and delight that we will live for Christ. And the way we do that is to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. That my salvation is not by anything I've done, but only because of Jesus and his grace. And in doing this, we put ourselves in a position where we know we're loved. Where we know life is now not ours, but we are going to live it for our King Jesus. And we're going to be announcing it everywhere we go. A few quick examination questions on the second point. Is Christ's death everything to you? Have you become passe about Christ's death? Have it, have it, it's not that big of a deal. What difference does it make to know that you're loved by him and that your actions flow out of that love? I'm not saying we don't grow up into deep doctrines. We do. But Paul is, is showing us right here. Peter, a great saint, an apostle, he, he walked in a step different than the gospel. And it's because he forgot the central truth of the gospel that he's justified by faith alone in Christ alone. How beautiful thing that we must be reminded now let me just ask you this. I'd love for you as a family or, or maybe you as an individual or, or, or however you organize this afternoon, just kind of how would you articulate justification by faith to someone who's never been in the church? Practice doing that today at the dinner table. Practice explaining how you would articulate justification by faith alone in Christ alone to a lost person, someone who's not in the church, someone who's never heard the language that we've used sometimes. And I pray that, that we as God's people, we would not add on to the gospel, but that we would understand we need to learn to look in our own hearts where we're being swayed by almost gospels, adding things. And brothers and sisters, I'm, I pray, my prayer has been for you all morning this week, is that we would learn to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Whether you think you're great or whether you hate life and feel guilty and shame, we are people who preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. And because this is true, we can begin to echo what Paul echoes here. And it's this glorious reality that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I live for his name. May this be true of us, especially during this season of our country and community, and really the globe. May we be a people who do not isolate, add to, but may we be people who love well because we have been so well loved. Let me pray for us as we close. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.